Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. I'll just mention the books. Um, I'm not a, a stranger to most of you, and uh, I've enjoyed not only pastoring a magnificent church in Bothell for 30 years, but also planting churches such as this one. And it's always a, a delight to see a daughter church thriving and uh, God using it. The two books are now, uh, Follow Me is now called The Safe King, Finding in Jesus the Leader You Can Trust. And it's about the way Jesus presented the gospel. So some of you have heard me speak on the kingdom, but that is exactly the way Jesus talked about his message. He always said, the kingdom of heaven is here, repent. And uh, that is his favorite way of crystallizing his message. So how do you unpack that? What does it mean? And uh, how would it change the way we do things if we were to take it seriously? That's in that book. Still Restless is um, conversations that open the door to peace. So it's one-on-one conversations that Jesus had with individuals in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it um, is just simply the fact that he never used the same message twice. Nicodemus was the only one he said, you must be born again to. The woman at the well, drink of the water, um, the living water that I represent, and so forth. Each person got a different way of approaching what it means to be saved, what salvation is. And that's, of course, the creativity of our great creator, uh, who is Jesus. And it's also about the fact that he didn't expect us to ever create a cookie-cutter gospel. He, he um, didn't give us permission to just use a one-size-fits-all. But we have kind of done that in our marketing age to, uh, I think, our own detriment. So that's that book. And uh, if you want to look them up, they're all on uh, Amazon and, and uh, so forth. All right. Um, I want to start today by quoting the 23rd Psalm, because that's where we're going to focus. And particularly, we're going to come down and look right at the middle of the psalm, at the valley of the shadow. Because I suspect many of us have either just been in the valley of the shadow, are in it, or are about to go into it. And that's what we'll focus on today, all right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Did you know that for 2,000 years of church history, that psalm has been called the children's psalm? For centuries, Christian parents taught their children to memorize that psalm and pray it at bedtime. Now, when I came along and was a boy shortly after World War II, the little prayer, now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take, was the one that my parents taught me, Christian parents. And it's a little macabre, um, you know, if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul. And yet it was, it's a comfort. I pray the Lord my soul to take because my parents taught me that there is no certainty about tomorrow. And um, we need to be ready to go at any time. But the 23rd Psalm is actually a wonderful way to have either yourself close the day off or your children. There's a tremendous comfort to it. And then the other fact about this is that it's uh, probably the most often used scripture at funerals. You remember uh, at 9-11 when there were so many funerals around the country, there was the great uh, service, uh, our president then, George Bush, and Billy Graham presided at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., and the 23rd Psalm was used. And then over and over again as funerals, as the media visited funeral services around uh, the Northeast there and the people who worked in the Twin Towers and the Pentagon and were on board that fated flight, over and over again we heard the 23rd Psalm in national media. Why? Because the If you learn how to understand it and digest it. So before we go any further, let's pray together, all right? Heavenly Father, we need to know the secret of experiencing your comfort and your peace. We need to know how to deal with the valleys of the shadow of death that come to each of us. And so this morning, would you just simply open our hearts and our minds, our spirits, to what it is you want to say through your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask my wife, Charm, to come up here and uh, talk a little bit about sheep, because she's the shepherdess in the family and has long um, enjoyed this creature called a sheep. So why don't you tell us how that started for you? I was probably 10 or 11 when my family moved to a rural area in Michigan. And we had about three acres of land. 
my dad would so often every spring bring home baby lambs that had been orphaned for us to bottle feed. Adulthood. But um, then, so I think that's where I, I actually started to learn to love little lambs and to love sheep. <clears throat> but I, that time I didn't connect it with God or Jesus, our good shepherd. And then of several years ago, at the FERS conference ground up in Bellingham, um, Jan and I went to a conference and we heard Philip Keller talk about the book that he'd written. And um, the shepherd look, a good shep shepherd looks at the 23rd Psalm. And um, I, I bought the book and read it, and it so resonated with me. I already had the love for sheep, but it so helped me to understand Jesus as the good shepherd and how he cares for us, and he is there for every need. And it really reflects the heart of God. That's who God is. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's kind of where I got started in it. And I yeah. always um, am looking for a lamb to love on. She sure is. We, we love to walk in England, and we've been back there about 10 times over the years. Uh, when we could get away, we would do a long-distance footpath in, in England. And all over that part of the world, and Scotland as well, there are an abundance of sheep. So we'd be walking through a pasture, because the trails there go right through the farm fields, and uh, there'd be a flock of sheep, and Charm would be going over there to see if she could pet one. And of course, they're pretty wild, and it would never happen unless we cornered them um, in a Or one time, one was caught in the fence. So she got to touch it and pet, you know, pet it and so forth. Before releasing it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but she's always been fascinated with sheep. And then we took our oldest son, Nathan, who is now our district executive in Converge, um, and his wife, Amy, with us. And we did a, um, the Windrush Way, which is in uh, the Cotswolds. And we came through Burton on the Water, and we were back uh, behind the village a little bit, walking on the footpath. And there was a flock of sheep. And Nathan said, Mom, come quick. <laughs> There's one laying down, and I think she just might be tame. So I didn't want to rush her, so I got up there to her, and she just stayed there. So I knelt down beside her and put my arm around her, and she leaned right into me. And I'm like, Oh, God, thank you. <laughs> you prepared this lamb for me, and I didn't have to go and find it. <laughs> yeah. Well, then we had lunch in town, and we located a bed and breakfast, and she said, I want to go back there. <laughs> do you think that lamb is still there? Yeah, do you think maybe we can find it again? And so um, we went back through the field, or to the field, and it was all... to Jan. Oh, I'll never find this when they all look alike. And so we were standing there, and then she found me, and right. she came up to me, and I cried. Yeah. I was like, oh, my word, I can't believe this. This is wonderful. Yeah. God prepared that lamb.
So it's still happening. Last summer, our uh, granddaughter has a small flock of sheep, uh, Shetland sheep from the Shetland Islands north of Scotland. They're a small breed, but uh, can be trained and, and actually quite um, friendly and affectionate. But this particular lamb, the mother died and it was an orphan and none of the other ewes would accept this little lamb. So McKenna was talking to me and she said, Nana, I don't know what to do. None of the other ewes that have had their lambs will accept her and I've tried everything that, that I know to do. And um, I want her to live, of course. So um, I said, well, I can take her, you know, I, I can do that, and I can bottle feed her, and, you know, the, the worst I could do is and that. And there went our summer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she thrived, and uh, McKenna named her Promise. So by the time I took her back at the end of the summer to try to um, get her back into the flock again, she, she managed it, but she was very spoiled. And every time you came to see her... Oh, yes, or she'd hear my car, she would start to... Um, Bleat. Make a lot of noise. And <laughs> <laughs> come running. Right. Thank you, honey. I wanted you to see how close our experience is to uh, what you read in this psalm. The shepherd's psalm, as it's called, is a metaphor. We are not sheep, but we're like sheep. Jesus isn't a shepherd like a good shepherd. In fact, um, we've got good reason to assume that this metaphor is one of God's favorites, if not his favorite. Over 600 times in the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament, the Holy Spirit uses this language. Shepherds, sheep, flocks, sheepfolds, lost sheep, etc. And uh, Jesus himself used it very often in his teaching. So I think we can say that God is trying to get a message through to us, that there's something important here. Let me tell you a little bit about the spirit, the uh, context. And I'm going to start with the scriptural context. You may not know it, but in this setting, this 23rd Psalm is set in um, a series of three psalms. The 22nd Psalm, the 23rd, and the 24th are all called shepherd psalms. And I'll explain why, why scholars have, Bible scholars have concluded that. The 22nd Psalm starts with those words Jesus uttered on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then that, that psalm goes into... Um, what Jesus experienced on the cross, the shutting down of his lungs from hanging there, not being able to breathe, the whole experience of having your, jo your bones pulled out of joint. It even mentions the fact that the soldiers gambled for his garment. This is fantastic beauty of biblical prophecy. So David, writing this psalm, is actually prophesying about a future event. It may
Or he was, by the Holy Spirit, speaking of something yet to come in the crucifixion of Jesus. The name that is in the New Testament that matches that psalm is John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. All right, so we'll start there with the 22nd Psalm. The 23rd is in the middle there, and it matches the word or the, the name in the New Testament called the Great Shepherd, the one who is there with you, but who anticipates your needs and anticipates the fact that you need him more than anything else. You notice how it starts with just getting nourishment from the Great Shepherd or with the Great Shepherd, and then it ends at home with the Great Shepherd in his house forever. The 24th Psalm uh, matches the third um, description of Jesus as the Shepherd. And that's the chief shepherd, First Peter. It says, when he, the chief shepherd, shall appear. And in that psalm, it's open wide the gates and let the king of glory in. And of course, letting the king of glory in starts here, doesn't it? We let him in. Let me just match that up now. Psalm 22, he, our good shepherd, died for us. So for me, then Psalm 23, with me, and Psalm 24, in me. And that's the beauty of this revelation coming from the Holy Spirit. Now let me also explain the geographical context for the psalm. This is about the journey of, um, of a shepherd and his sheep in Israel. Now the land of Palestine is north and south, and the Jordan River is on the east, the Mediterranean is on the west, and right down the middle of the country is this huge mountain range. The sheep would, would mountains would be too inhospitable in the winter. In the Jordan Valley, they would find plenty of food in the winter, plenty of rain, plenty of water there, green pasture, all right? And then summer would come. Spring would come and summer, and late spring, the shepherds would move the sheep from the Jordan River Valley up the ravines to the mountain top where they were, in the mountain meadows they would find good forage and plenty of water. Then at the end of summer they would come back down that ravine, the dark valley to the uh, abundant pasture in the Jordan Valley. So that's the, the picture that, that is here. This journey through the dark valley happened twice a year. And that's the setting. 
Now, the author David was a former shepherd boy, of course. He was called from the field, from the, the flock, to be anointed by Samuel when he was approximately 15 years old. Just a boy. He may have had a specific valley in mind. Took his sheep back and forth from the Jordan Valley up to the mountain and then from the mountain but down to the valley again. He encountered dangers. Remember when he talked about killing lions? Not just one lion, lions, plural. He was talking to King Saul about his going out to meet Goliath. And he said, I'm not afraid of Goliath. When the lion came, and then he pluralized it, and then when the bear came, and he pluralized it. So as a young boy, he had already experienced this extremity of a dominant predator coming after his sheep. And or this dark valley could otherwise um, be referring to the 15 years he spent running away from King Saul, fleeing and being pursued. Remember, it was a long time between the time David was anointed to be king and when he became king. 15 years passed. And during that 15 years, he was pursued in the wilderness relentlessly. Now, it doesn't surprise me that he used some of his home territory as a place to flee to. And the dark valley of hiding and running from King Saul was almost an, a daily experience for The other possibility is that this could just be a good metaphor. And God could be anticipating the fact that you and I are going to experience dark valleys. Experience those valleys. I want you to notice that there's no mention of death in the original. Uh, you wouldn't know that because all of the modern translations call it the valley of the shadow of death. But in the Hebrew, it is not, death is not there. It's just the valley of the darkest shadow. What does that mean? That means, first of all, that there are a lot of different kinds of dark valleys but probably the most fearsome to human beings in our finite, our frail bodies, is the fact that we know death is coming. This life is going to come to an end, and everybody here knows that. We try to forget it and not live with it, you know, in the front of our minds all the time. But we know it's coming, and it is fearsome. And so God is preparing us, I believe, for this end time in our lives in this psalm. Let me just ask you this um, this morning. I, uh, I think this is one of the most relevant topics we could talk about. I think just about everybody in this room has either been in a dark valley, is now in a dark valley, or soon will be in a dark valley. What do you do with the valley of the shadow
Perhaps you're in a, a valley caused by the death of a child. In the first service, a couple came to me after the service and said, we've experienced the death of two of our children in just to have your children die before you do. It could be infertility, not even being able to have children. And some couples who have been childless have grieved and been in a why God state for many years. Divorce can be a dark valley. Health challenges can be a very dark valley. Financial losses and reversals. Depression. Some of us um, have a weakness that we inherited from our parents and grandparents genetically that predispose us toward depression. And that's a, a form of suffering that people who don't experience it find it hard to understand. But it is a very dark valley. There are those who, who struggle with alcoholism and drug addiction, never intending to get hooked on it, but suddenly finding they couldn't do without it. We've, we've all been in the dark valley of the shadow. of the shadow of COVID and it's affected our whole world problem is we didn't lean into our shepherd many of us and we succumbed to fear rather than being fearless we let the media and the government create a threat that was so big that it overwhelmed us. And many of us struggled with it. And it was a dark valley experience. Now the question is, how can I fear no evil? Well, the secret, my friends, is simply this. There are two words in that verse, that fourth verse of the psalm. The first is through. I go through the valley of the shadow because the valley is always a journey from one place to another. The valley of the shadow of is a journey from one place to another. Remember how the psalm ends? I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right, that's somebody who's been through the valley of the shadow of death. They're now through it. And this is the most encouraging thing of all, and that is that I will fear no evil for you, my shepherd, are with me. The secret of fearlessness in the Christian life is a mighty shepherd. A big God who is with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you.
he promises. And we walk by faith and not by sight on that promise. My dark valley of the shadow of death uh, that I'd just like to talk about for a moment happened about 23 years ago. Um, my father died uh, suddenly. He had been ill for some time, and we didn't expect him to die, but he had kidney disease, was on dialysis, and then suddenly had a heart attack. So I was in a staff meeting at North Shore when the news came. Immediately, uh, the staff prayed for me and my family, and then uh, hopped on a uh, plane, um, a red eye, to get back to help plan the, the service. Because back in Wisconsin, they still do funerals the way they used to. In other words, the person dies, and within five days, they have the memorial service. It's just bing, 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 bam. Um, not so much these days. Which had been done. So as the eldest in the family, I um, helped plan the service. And then it was during the service. I was eulogizing my father and talking about my relationship with him. And I had a subarachnoid brain hemorrhage, right? A brain, a, a brain bleed. And those are very deadly. Uh, about 50% of people who experience them don't even make it to emergency. It, it can kill you very quickly. Ready for me. First of all, my nephew, who was in the service, followed me out of the service when I realized I was nauseous and, and didn't want to make a mess in the service. So I went down the stairs, and my sons followed me, caught me, sat me in a chair in the basement. And my nephew, who was in his final year of medical training to be a medical doctor, had just studied brain injury. called 911. The ambulance was there in seven minutes. They got me to um, the Wausau Hospital in about 15 minutes. And guess what? The ER doctor that day was a brand new neurosurgeon. <laughs> and by the time I got there, he was talking to the paramedics, and he already knew what the problem was. He got me in, took a, a, a um, x-ray, saw the, the hemorrhage, the uh, blood clot in my brain, or on top of my brain, a subarachnoid brain hemorrhage is where the brain bleeds between the skull and the brain sac, not in the brain. But it's the pressure of the heart pumping blood in there that, that's so deadly. Anyway, this um, young neurosurgeon um, said if, if I was his dad, he would want me under the care of his teaching doctor. He had graduated from the university uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. And Dr. Dempsey was one of the, the world's preeminent neurosurgeons. 
was allowed to come down to Madison, and I was in uh, ICU there for three weeks. I'm not going to describe all the experience there except this. That first week that I was there, I had several nights. I, I don't, can't tell you exactly how many times, but during the night, I'd be awake. And I would uh, be thinking about where, what's next? Where is God taking me? And a doorway would appear like a vision in my mind. And I knew it was the door to eternity. And I knew I could go. <laughs> uh, and I wanted to go. And they shoved my gurney on this helicopter and took me from Wausau down to, to Mad, leaned over the gurney and said, tears running down her face, Dad, if you see the white light, don't go. <laughs> In my mind, I was remembering, that was pretty vivid, and uh, so I, I kind of was reluctant, and the Lord gave me permission to stay. And that's why I'm here today. But what I, what I really want you to see is I was in the valley of the shadow, the shadow of death. I was right at death's door. And he, my shepherd, was with me. That was the most real thing about that whole experience is that he was with me. He was in the room. He was in my mind. He was in my heart. When, I, when Charm came into the room after those experiences, I said to her, Charm, it's all real. <laughs> Jesus is real. The gospel is real. Heaven is real. I've been right there. It's all true. It's not something that we as humans, weak as we are, create out of fear. It's a, it's a kind of fearlessness in faith as we walk with our shepherd in the dark valley. I want to close today with a, something that just blessed my heart. A clue of how the Holy Spirit works from Philip Keller's book that Charm mentioned, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. The first three verses of the 23rd Psalm is about he, the God I believe in, he and me. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But in the valley of the shadow of death, the pronouns change. It becomes, you are with me. And for the rest of the psalm, it's you and me. It starts, he and me, right in the valley of the shadow of death, it becomes but um, he and me becomes you and me. And that's 
one of those poignant little tips from the Holy Spirit that this is how it works. It's in our pain. It's in our suffering. It's in the dark valley that he becomes so personal, so wonderfully close. As our shepherd, he meets our needs when we need him most. If we don't turn away from him. Because pain, pain can make you turn against those who love you most. Even God. But in the dark valley, that is where God intends to meet you and be personally your shepherd and deliver you from fear of evil. That's what he did for me. That's what he'll do for you. And some of you, I see your heads nodding. You've been there. You know what this is that I'm talking about. So be encouraged, my friends. Be comforted. The good shepherd doesn't leave you in the dark valley. That's where it gets close. What a beautiful truth. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this blessed passage of Scripture. It's meant so much over the years to so many. Many people who aren't even Christians know this psalm. We thank you for all that it reveals about you and about your heart. Thank you for the intricate way you have woven this passage of Scripture together with Psalm 22, Psalm 24, and all the rest of Scripture with this incredible metaphor of how you liken yourself to a shepherd, us to a sheep, but then it all comes down to a personal relationship, not just a belief system. In our extremity, we find you too The one whom we can rely on and lean on and rest in. The one who provides an indescribable peace and even joy. Thank you for speaking this morning. Thank you for your word, the ministry of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. Lord, may we be encouraged as we leave. In Jesus' name, amen.